Welcome to Open All Hours, the QPR podcast. Um, we are, as we have been every week throughout lockdown, uh, recording this on a Saturday, sometimes reflecting on what's happened in the week and on weeks where nothing has happened, uh, finding other things to talk about and uh, hopefully entertain people with. Thank you for sticking with us uh, along the way. So I'm David and there are three of us here for those of you who are not watching this on the record back on the playback on YouTube, because we're of course recording it on Zoom, like many people are these days. So, with me here is Flo Lloyd Hughes. Hello, 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 hello. Also here is Paul Finney. What a beauty! Don't know what that means, but good morning, Paul. And Chris Charles should also be there somewhere as well. Hi, hi, Chris. Um. So we are being joined in about six minutes by two two really good interviews, which will hopefully make for a great discussion this morning. Um, Les Ferdinand, um, director of football, and Chris Ramsey. Uh, ooh, I don't know his exact job title. What is his job title? Academy director? Yeah, I think so. I think we were going to ask him because we weren't 100% sure ourselves. I think he's become to known as the... Uh, academy director but I think he does have some first team responsibilities as well because he's obviously there at games overseeing things in the stands so we'll we'll ask him to refine his official title a little bit. I think he holds a number of hats and we just got to find out which hats he prefers. Exactly so uh, it's 9.39 Saturday morning and they're joining us at 9.45 and quite often with these interviews you do wonder whether the people are ever going to answer their phones. Are they going to turn up on time? I would say chances of them turning up to this Zoom on time are quite high. I think they're quite prompt people. Yes, very organised. I will be surprised if they're late. Unlike my good self, who is late for everything, hopefully (laughs) late for my own funeral. Well, let's make these six minutes count then. uh, I've heard that before. (laughs) Thanks, Finney. The beauty in, in football matches. In football matches. So, so I'm the host for the first time because uh, Clive is usually the host on the Zoom. And the beauty is you can mute Finney, as Clive has said before. Um, is it? Isn't that right, Finney? There you go. Um, so let's talk about what has happened, Egypt. which has been quite a lot. Um, so clearly, the announcement that the football is returning, that the championship is returning, that the club are not happy about it. But I think that means two weeks today. Football's coming back two weeks today, doesn't it? So next Saturday may be our last Saturday podcast. So number one, football coming back. Number two, there were some announcements yesterday about what that's going to mean for season ticket holders and ticket holders and and refunds. And I think there were there's basically three choices on that, which is a, a full refund, um, a club shop credit or you can roll it into a, an online pass to watch the games um, a lot there not a lot of time before the guys join us Finney what, what, what do you reckon about what's happened those couple of things they started there and QPR's reaction to it did surprise me because either a lot of clubs aren't speaking out or we've just um, grew 
grew her own anxiety over it all and, and come out and said what a lot of people are thinking. So that'll be interesting to see how that develops in the next couple of weeks. Um, the, the, the three options of the season tickets is pure choice for everyone. Um, it doesn't make you less or more of a fan, whatever you choose. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll just be watching games, I guess. But anyone that chooses whatever they want to choose, entirely up to them. doesn't make you any less or more of a fan, as I said. But, yeah, the start date was a bit of a surprise. And um, I just hope it's safe for all. Because what you don't want is to start again and then the whole thing be called off again. And then that just puts everyone on a bad footing. Flo, I don't think the club miscalculate much these days, but I do wonder if they miscalculated the throwing the toys out of the pram over the start date because they very much seem to be out on their own with that one. And I worry that that sort of creates a bit of a bad vibe and like no one wants to be the complaining kid in the corner with these things. Yeah, I'm surprised. I feel like maybe they were hoping someone was going to come with them on that. Um, and obviously there are a few players who have already spoken out and said they're worried about getting injured. Obviously, we, we've already discussed players who were worried about getting sick from the virus, but now we've reached the, the phase where people are actually worried about getting injured. And, you know, Lyle Taylor came out this week, and I think another player from Charlton as well, talking about that, especially if you're looking for a move. That is something that, you know, you need to think about. And Lyle Taylor's been quite public with the fact that he wants to progress out of Charlton. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting one. And I do think that, I mean, if Lee Hughes is right, and I'm not saying that he's, he's lying, but the, if they didn't know anything until it about until Sunday night, it's pretty interesting and surprising given the fact that the, the EFL's been very kind of um, strict in the sense that they said, you know, we've got to come to all our decisions as, as a majority. 51% have to decide on things but then suddenly they just announced this without consulting everyone so I can understand that if I was Lee Hughes and I was my water I'd be pretty cheesed off because at the moment they were just told oh yeah you've got to do little bits and pieces and training and you'll be able to do contact training at some point so I think it was a bit of a shock and it doesn't leave long I mean the NBA are getting a whole month to prepare for for return of their sport but you know EFL got three weeks and that is hard so Bundesliga, there's already been loads of injuries. So I just hope that in already quite a small squad for QPR, that it doesn't really decimate us too much. Let's hope so. So I think we've got to come back to this later because whilst people will be delighted, I'm sure, in hearing what we've got to say about it, you were right, we were right, our guests are on time. Chris Ramsey has entered the waiting room, is never a phrase that I thought I would ever repeat on an episode of the QPR podcast. But we are living in strange times. So, um, without further ado, here are Chris and hopefully Les. Well, Chris and Les join us now. Chris is actually joining us straight from um, the training ground. So, thanks a lot for um, for stepping out of the warm up. Um, firstly, Chris, I guess as you're there right now, um, how are the players doing, and how are they responding to having this kind of deadline? I guess to, to get fit and ready. The players are doing well. They've come back. Uh, most of them have been very well. All of them have been very professional. Uh, they've come back in in good shape. Um, you know, as we probably everybody knows that that uh, we've aired our views about the way things have been handled by the authorities. But the players are professional, and the, the, the staff uh, are getting them in shape and ready to to go for whatever comes. 
And Chris, we wanted, we know, I think your official title is technical director, but we've sort, I think fans have kind of labelled you as like the academy guru, but what does your role sort of entail? Because I know you have first team responsibilities as well, right? Uh, well, my, my job actually, Les, to be fair, created it. Uh, and it's the only one in the world in, in the same way. We wanted to get an academy link direct to the first team, which most clubs haven't got. So, um, and, and somebody who could understand first team football as well as academy football. So, uh, basically what happened was, uh, when I came back as technical director, the, Simon Einan was the, the, the head of coaching. And I was the academy manager. Simon went to Nottingham Forest, so the club asked me to engulf that job. But then uh, Curtis Fleming uh, went from Ian's, Ian's assistant to Middlesbrough, so they asked me to, uh, to engulf that job as well. And uh, so fortunately for me, it's, it's a job that's been perfect. Um, you know, engulfing those, those three jobs, overseeing the academy as a head of coaching and being a technical director where I can influence everybody at the club really as, as best I can is important. But the, the, the main thing is, is to understand that we don't get, the, we've got a club ethos in development, but it's, in, it's important to get the players ready for whatever manager comes in rather than, so it doesn't, it doesn't start from the first team. One of the things that Les was keen to do, any manager that comes in doesn't have control over the academy. Um, because as you know, we've had seven managers in a short space of time. So we have to make sure that we have a le uh, some consistency so the players are adaptable to, to the next manager. And Les, I know we talked, Chris touched on it and obviously that the club's been quite public in the way they feel things were handled and the way the EFL announced the response. There's been a couple of players um, from around the league um, who have said that they're worried about getting injured and, and they don't want to play because of that. Um, if there's a move on the horizon, Lyle Taylor being one of them. Um, how has that impacted the club at all with any of our squad? And obviously we know that we've got some really highly rated players. So how are the club managing that? I think at the moment, in terms of the, the Lyle Taylor situation and, and players at football clubs, I, I, I totally understand you know, you, you, first and foremost, you've got an obligation to play for your football club because you, you're contracted. And if you're coming to the end of your contract, and, we, you know, I'll have to talk about Grant Hall because he's in that, in that same position. He's coming to the end of the contract. We haven't been able to sort a, a new deal out at the moment. Uh, we're talking about it. But he, we haven't been able to sort one out that's favourable to all, all sides at the moment. So he could well, be, well, I say well within his rights, but he could come back to us and say, well, look, I'm, I'm concerned. You know, I know I'm the captain of the club and I want to play. And, he, you know, you've, you've heard Grant come out on many occasions say how much he loves the club. But the predicament is he could play in the last few games of the season, get injured, and, and, and there's nothing on the table for him going somewhere else. So from a player perspective, I can understand that. But from a club perspective, we are where we are because we're un, in unreally, unusual circumstances at the moment. And so um, what is normally the norm is, is very, very different now. So we're trying to, to, to just manage the whole situation. At that moment, no one's come to us and said, look, I'm not going to play in the last few games of the season. Les, how difficult has your job been in the last 10, 12 weeks? How much has it, has it changed from what you thought it was going to be and look like and planning into the next period to what it is now? Because we've got the situation where the club captain can leave in a few games. He's not signed up. 
usually the fans would be on your back about that. I don't think anybody wouldn't now understand why that's probably a lot more difficult. Yeah, I think that's you're right. Everybody understands the situation to where we are. Of course, we would have liked to have had this sorted, but we knew we were going to probably go to the end of the season, um, and then we would have a budget from the owners as to what we what we could spend, um, where we were going to be. But none of those things have been able to put into place because I think this is probably the first time that I can ever remember in football that um, you know through credit crunches, through recessions, football has always thrived. This is the first time where a situation affected the owners' normal businesses. So what they, the, what their projections might have been for what they can do for QPR is going to be very different. And I think that's where people understand the difference in perhaps in the past, as you said, people will be saying, we've got our captain coming to the end. How comes we haven't sorted out a contract? I think people understand this is the situation right now and that's why they're being a little bit more lenient. And, and, and sorry, sorry to cut you. No, no, go for um, it, go for it. In terms of uh, how much, how's my job changed? I mean, it's you know, I think everybody understands it. We're on tender hooks at the moment. No one knows. Everybody wants everyone to return safe to to football. When I when I talk about that, not just just the players, but all the staff. So there's sacrifices that have to be made, and unfortunately, the planning, the plans that we had going forward, they've had to change. And we just have to see how we come out of this before we can really make plans for, for next season. Les, you've always been really honest about the fact that if, if the club has meaningful, valuable assets, players that are worth something, we have to turn them over because of the situation we're in. And obviously, you know, coronavirus has really affected the transfer market and the value, although maybe Chelsea's deal um, this week maybe hasn't reflected that for Timo Werner. But... Um, Every single, you know, fan um, wants to know about Abiri Eze and Bryce Samuel and, you know, whether they whether we'll get a good price from them, I guess. But do you think that, that you know, what their value has been seriously impacted and also going forward in the transfer window for what the club might want coming in, how has that outlook changed now with, you know, what we might get and what we might have to spend as well? I think, you know, first and foremost, yeah, with, with, with Bright and, 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 and Eze, um, their assets for the club. I mean, Bright's in the last year, you know, coming into the last year of his contract, someone who we, we've tried to put on a, a new contract, but so far has decided to decline it. Um, you know, that leaves us in a situation where we have to look at what's the best thing for the, the, the club going forward. Because um, in some, some respects, he could get to the end of his contract and leave, and leave for, for compensation. Um, we don't want it to get to that. Um, but what we will be doing is trying to get the best value we possibly can. I, you know, lots of talk about Eze, lots of top clubs are talking about Eze. Um, and if the, the time comes that he's going to leave the football club, um, again, we're in, we're in that uncharted territory where we just don't know how uh, transfer fees and I think wages will certainly be affected by this. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure transfer fees will. I think transfer fees will still be up there. Um, not as much as perhaps we were, we were hoping, but I think clubs will more look at wages than they do look at the transfer fees at the paper. Um, Chris, um, just a quick question for yourself. Um, now that everyone's back in training and, and going forward and, and so forth, what do you, after coronavirus and saying there is the, the, the lack of transfer funds and everything else, how, what do you see the academies now being able to do to improve size? Will there be more focus on academies and in our division and, and obviously the Premier have got a different agenda but could it be good for some and bad for others do you think? 
I, I think for clubs now, this should be an ideal opportunity to maximise your academy. Because, um, like Les says, wages are going to go down. There's a lot of players available. Um, I think 1,000 uh, pros and 400 scholars available on the market at the moment. So there's a lot of players out of work. And I think, if you know, you can have um, players on the bench that are on 10, 15 grand a week and you can have someone on the pitch that's on 1,200 pound a week, depending on the performance. So it's, it's about outcome and it's about people weighing up. If, for argument's sake, you have a pro that's, uh, I don't know, a 7 out of 10, and you have a, an academy player that's a six out of ten. Is that half half a percent worth ten grand? You know, forty grand over the, over over the course of a month. So a lot of the also ran players that are earn, that earn good money may may be looking over their shoulders if clubs if clubs are, are sensible about it. You know, so it's pointless having people on the bench that are just senior pros earning good money just because they're senior pros. So I think loads of clubs now will go out of business if they, if they stick to the old attitudes of just having senior players on the bench. And, and, and also, what's the point of having an academy if players don't get an opportunity? There's no pathway. What's the point? Um, a question for both of you, really. This, this um, current crop as a bright manager chair, um, is this like a once-in-a-generation group of players or are there players waiting in the wings in the academy uh, to replace them who can be just as good as them? Uh, certainly, from my point of view, I think we've got we've got players. We've got a few players that we believe have got the ability. And you know, we we, we often say it. You know, I've said it through, throughout my career. The only time a player plays in, in a team and we know how good he is is when someone's willing to give him an opportunity. And sometimes, you know, you need you need a manager somewhere somewhere in your along in your career. Someone has to like you and give you an opportunity. And then once they've given you that opportunity, it's up to you to take it. And when I talk about an opportunity, I'm not talking about one game, two games, three games. Someone who's going to say, I'm going to stick with you for 10, 15 games and see how you develop. And you need that. Any, any player in the world that's made it has needed that at some stage in their, in their career to make it. So we've got players that we look at and we think, yeah, he's got a real chance. Um, and, you know, going back on what Chris has said, I think because of what's happened in this coronavirus, especially in the championship, Championship is going to go back to, I mean, the clubs that come down from the Premier League are always going to have a bit more money. I think the rest of the clubs in the mix is all going to be about how to coach and how you coach, what type of manager you've got. And the manager is going to have to be a coach because it's going to be about development. You know, you know we've seen the statistics in, in terms of what clubs are spending in the championship. And if they continue to go that way, a lot of clubs are going to go out of business. So I think it's going to, it's going to revert back to managers, coaches, being able to coach players and develop them and bring them through. And we're certainly hoping that we're, we're, we're along the lines in doing that at the moment. And again, I mentioned those players then, but there's one particular shining star. Again, question for both of you. Barry Eze. I mean, I mean we've spoke, everybody we've spoken to, from Mark Warburton to the players, Graham Sooners has said he'll walk into a top six side. I mean, you, you get to see him every day. How, how good is he? Uh, well, f- first of all, just to, to, to answer the question that you said before, um, and you're right about the once in a generation thing, because you do get situations where you have the class of 92 and things like that. Uh, we're, we're not in that situation. You know, if you look at, uh, you look at um, Ebbs and Ilias and uh, Ryan, they, they actually would be in different youth teams. So that's the, 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 the strength of any development program is to not have eight players in one youth team. Because generally you'd miss out on on on, the, on some players because eight players won't get in the team at one time. So it's about having one or two a season or one or two every other season. 
that's the strength of of, of any of any program. Uh, I mean, obviously, I watch Ebbs all, all the time. We we you know have been working with him, and he's worked hard to become the player that he, he is. And uh, I think sometimes you know when he goes off the boil because he's so good that people tend to think that he's not trying or is he the real deal. But he's still people forget he's still um, a very young player that uh, he's only coming out of the, out now of the cloud of that initial rejection he's had through his career and, and actually believing in, in himself. And he's shown some, some fantastic leadership skills off the pitch. And, uh, you know, he, he, he'll probably be embarrassed about me saying, saying it, but he actually talks up for the young players, you know, off the pitch, you know, because he realises that to get that chance, you need people, you know, like, like, like Les really and Paul Hall and Andy Impey to actually be talking about you um, to the manager and, and convincing convincing the, the hierarchy that we have got a good player there. So um, his 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 personality has definitely developed a lot since uh, since he's coming to the club. And Les, same same to you, Eze. How, how you know how good is he? I know it's a bit of a daft question because we all know he's very good, but is, is he is he really that good enough to walk into a top six side? Chris, I, I, I did a, a through this. This lockdown period, you end up doing loads of Zoom calls and, and, and interviews and, and, and stuff like that. And I spoke to someone a little while ago and I said, in terms of ability, he'd probably be in the top six players I've ever seen or ever played with in my, in, in my career. In terms of ability, um, the way he controls the ball, the way he passes, uh, you know, the way he pulls the ball out of, out of the air. And, you know, I'm, to, I'm putting him in the category, of, you know, we had Roy Wegley. Roy Wegley's touch was like, you know, he had feet like velvet, you know, um, I, I play with like so the Ginola, I play with the Canio and players like that. And and those players who, you know, the the ability to, to, to control and pass the ball, he's got that. I mean, yeah, of course there's things he needs to work on and, and you know, Chris touched on it. People look at him sometimes and say he's a bit lazy. He said the same thing about me when I first joined the club. But, you know, that happens and I mean if you look back to um and when I sp- when I speak about opportunities, if you look back to the start of last season, he had a he had a dire time. You know, the, you know, I say start of last season, through the season, you know, sports started getting on his back. He weren't doing enough. He was going backwards. And that's what happens in, in, in you know, there's no career that just goes steadily up. You're going to have dips, especially as a young player. And it's how you bounce back from those dips. And that's what, that's what, that's what makes a player. And I think, you know, as they struggled a lot last year, um, he's come through that part and we're seeing the, 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 him through the fruition of what he's learned and what he's gone through. We're reaping the benefits of it now. Uh, Les, I, I f- there was probably a feeling amongst fans that, we may have been wrong on this, but that as a the last few games of the season was going to be a kind of farewell tour for him. Does, the, does everything that's happened in the last few months make it more likely that he will be here next season? I mean, you know, listen, I, when I first took this job and, uh, and I remember speaking to Finn, um, doing his podcast and was, you know everyone was having a go at me about what we was doing at the club and the club was going backwards and this that and get rid of me we're not doing the right things and stuff like that and I said look this is going to be uh, um, there's going to be a period of hurt because we had to try and change what we were doing at the football club um, and I said and I hope in a few years time I said well I don't hope it but I, I, I'm thinking that in a few years time people are going to have a go at me because we're going to sell some of our best players but that's the only way the club's going to survive um, 
we've now produced one of the players that we don't really, we don't want to lose. No one wants to lose him. You know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm like everybody else. I want to see us knocking the door, getting back into the Premier League. And you don't do that by selling your best players. But then you have to understand the situation we're in. And I think you all do. The situation we're in right now is we need to replenish. And the replenishment's not going to come out solely from the, 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 the owner's funds because they're not able to do that anymore due to the financial fair play situation. So, unfortunately, we're going to have to sell assets to be able to bring more assets into the football club. It ain't all going to come through the... It isn't all going to come through the, 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 the uh, youth team. We're going to have to, you know, sell to replenish. Hopefully, um, like I said, we don't, um, we don't want to sell, um, but we'll only sell at the right price. Um, Chris, so I, I know I know we we may need to, to let you go and actually get back to work because <laughs> no, the rest they're of still, us still doing the, they're still doing the first bit, so I'm alright. Okay, good. Uh, don't worry, good. we'll keep the left hostage for a bit longer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I know you both spoke about opportunity and you know, people giving you those opportunities. Chris, Les created this role for you. You know, you guys have, you know, Les, you've had people giving you opportunities in your career as well. And given, you know, what sport has kind of, the messages sport has put out over the week about the Black Lives Matter movement, I find it frustrating sometimes, and I'm sure you guys do as well, about the kind of lack of tangible change within the game. And I know the FA brought in the Rooney rule recently and so did the EFL, but... What other actions, tangible actions, do you think the game could do to support black men and women to kind of progress through the sport? Because even across boardrooms, coaching, physios, you know, backroom staff, media, whatever it may be, it's just, it's, it's not moving. And, you know, when, what changes can be made? Because some of the statements over the past week, it kind of felt like, you know, it felt a bit empty to me. Well, I mean... First of all, Les created the role for the benefit of the club. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't for me. It was a role that, that was done for the benefit of the club, really, um, because it, it's that, that's how we thought the club should run. Um, the, the, I, I agree with you on a lot of stuff you're saying about the empty uh, comments that have come out um, in, in the week. But the problem is, is we'll, what I'm hoping is this just isn't a, a furore that in two weeks' time is forgotten about, you know, and that's generally what happens. Everybody shows their their disgust and their concern for a short period of time. One of the problems that we have, in fact, and this may be contradictory, so a lot of people might think this: it's the silent, it's the silent, uh, decent people that that actually are the problem because people who actually don't see that uh, other people's integrity is not the same as them. So they actually can't see that there's, there's discrimination because they're not, they're not someone who discriminates. So they find it very difficult to, to understand how other people discriminate. So they keep their mouth shut because they actually don't believe that it's going on. So we, we know where the extremists are. They're, they're easy to find. Do you know what I mean? Because we, we know where they are. Uh, well, they're not easy to find, but we we we, we haven't a, a clue of them uh, about them. But it's the people that are are uh, covert who say the right things, but don't actually do the right things, and all, and also the people who are good people but don't see it, don't see it, don't understand how people can actually be acting in in that in that uh, fashion. So um, I'm just hoping that that this this week has highlighted. Um, not only not only um, that black lives matter, but everybody's lives matter in, who's been uh, 
you know, discriminated against or abused or, or treated in a, in a fashion that's not correct because of their ethnicity or sexuality or whatever it might, whatever it, it may be. Um, and it's, it's now really that, that, that the authorities should really jump on this even more than they, 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 they have in, in the past and, and do some radical change. You know, this, this uh, evolving all the time. You know, if, 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 we had to, if the elephants had to wait to evolve, they'd still be wearing fur coats. You know, because with the, the we're, we're working. Um, everybody's always saying, "Oh, you know, we've got this uh, controlled step change." At some stage, there has to be some radical change; otherwise, it won't change. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how I add to that. Um, you know, it's it's frustrating being in the position I'm in because um, people come to talk to me all the time, and you feel like you're banging the same drum. You're banging it time and time and time and time again. Um, and people say, what's the problem? And, you know, I think Chris has eloquently said it there. Um, there's people that stay silent who say there is a problem, they know there is a problem, but don't know how to correct the problem. Um, I, for me personally, I think if you want to change anything, you've got to go to the, the, the highest level. And, you know, you look at RFA, you know, you look at our Premier League, um, there's no one of colour in any position of authority. Or, or who can give them any understanding to, to, to the situation. Um, so for as long as you block those, those areas of, uh, of progression, you can talk about it all you like. And I've seen, I've seen loads of people tweet, say, and listen, I'm not on Twitter, you guys know I'm not on Twitter or anything, <laughs> any of those uh, social media outlets, but loads of people I've seen, you know, loads of press things saying that the amount of people that have gone out and said Black Lives Matter, you know, again, just a lot of people paying lip service to a situation that they really don't want to correct. Because if we do want to correct it, we can. And, you know, you talk about the George Floyd situation. And for me, that's not even a, a thing about colour. That's just humane. If, you're, if, you're, if you've got humanity in your, in your system, you look at that situation and you go, whether he's black, white, Asian, that can't happen. That can't happen in today's society. Um, but, you know, we've seen it so many times um, in America where, where black people are oppressed and uh, lost their lives under police brutality. Um, I think perhaps because the world slowed down in a way that it has this time around, people are taking more notice and have had time to take more, more notice. Because it happens so frequently, everybody's lives have been so quick and everyone gets on with their lives that it, it, it goes under the carpet very, very quickly. Um, I think because the world slowed down, it's taken note uh, around the world a lot more. And so let's hope he, he, George Ford doesn't die in vain that something does come out of this and um, we do make the changes that's needed. Um, do, you know, do you know what, Les? <clears throat> we grew up in the same area. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we know probably the same people um, and, and so on. I, you know, when I grew up in Lampard Grove, when I came from Ireland, I was having these conversations with Jamaican fellows who came over and stuff like that there. 30 years ago mm. and I surrounded myself with people who thought like me who who acted like me who who didn't judge like me and mm. I'm really upset that now we're having the same conversation again the grandkids of these people are going through exactly the same shit and horribleness and vileness that they had to go through they had to clear up and we thought we were creating pathways in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s we thought we'd seen it all done it all acted on it all called it out done whatever I've, I'll be honest with you, I've lost friends in the last few months. I'm, I've been called a traitor to my race um, and so on. And the only race I belong to is a freaking human race. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and I, I, I can't get it. I can't 
understand the, the mentality of this and where it's sudden, it hasn't suddenly come from because it never went away. We know that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really upset that we discussed it. And, and as a, a person who came here from Northern Ireland during the Troubles, I got a bit of it. Nothing like, because the difference for me, um, Chris and Les, is I walk into a room and people will judge me on when they hear me. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Whereas to walk up the garden path and be judged before you get anywhere near the front door is something I don't understand, never will do. And I loved QPR because when I, you know, in the, when I was young, it was a place for everyone. There was never any of that shit at QPR that I seen as a kid. And I'm just devastated that it's come back. I'm devastated we're having these conversations. I want to talk to you about good players, about shite players, about transfer budgets, about when we're going to get beating Chelsea, Fulham, um, Brentford, winning local derbies again. I don't want to be talking about this because it shouldn't exist. I'm yeah. sorry to be rant, but I'm so, so annoyed by it all. And um, yeah, the, the lip service EFL, the Premier Lip and the FA play is ridiculous. Change it. Don't say it. Change it. And the only way you can change it is by showing an example. Be an example. Be forward thinking. Don't be left behind. And if that means people turn on you, history will look on you fondly. Sorry. Well, I, th- I think you summed it up, Les, by saying that it's at the top where things need to need to change. And, and knowing that we were speaking to you today, the one thing that I've been reading a lot this week, from particularly from um, the black community, is stop asking us what we should be doing. Um, actually, read, yeah. read yourself, look up, start, you know, educate yourself, and make that change fundamentally. And so you saying that it needs to start at the top of the game, I think at the top of the game probably um, hits the nail on the head. Um, we're, a, I would like to think, and you tell me otherwise, and, and, and I'm sure you will, given that you're director of football, that QPR is, is a progressive club in that, in that aspect and from that point of view, and hopefully setting the example to the rest of the game about, um, you know, in terms of its leadership positions and its community work and the example that it's setting, would I would I be right in that? David, I'd like to I'd like to think so. I, uh, you know, people come to me now because we've got a, so, such a diverse workforce, um, and say so, you know you want to talk to me about that, and I say, listen, I don't employ people because they're, they're, they're black. So you're coming to talk to me because we've got black employees. I said, um, I've employed more white. Caucasian uh, uh, guys since I've been at the club, guys and women since I've been at the club, then I have black. But you're not talking to me about that. You're talking to me about the black, the, the black people I've employed. Why? You know, and you know, you, you know, when when Chris was manager, when Jimmy Floyd came in afterwards, you know, you to, like I said, I, I I I don't read Twitter, but lots of people showed me tweets saying, "Oh, I'm bringing the black black mafia in, the black Mariah, and all that from from our supporters." So I understand racism exists everywhere. And I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, there's none at QBR. Of course there is. You know, there's, there's, there's people in the crowd. I, I know, but it, because this is society, and I keep saying, you know, we always bring it back to football and say there's a problem in football. I say there's a problem in society. Football has just always been an avenue. You know, we go back 20, 30 years where, you know, a whole stadium could come in and abuse a black player and everybody walk out of there with no repercussions for it. So it's always been a, an avenue where people could vent their frustrations at a black player. All of a sudden, we've put CCTV cameras in and we've said, you're not allowed to do this anymore. doesn't change the attitude of the people. They just say it when they get outside the stadium or they say it over social media. So, you know, I'm not looking at football now and saying, and this is why I keep saying to people, the problem's not just in football. Look at all the other industries that work off of football. 
Look at look at look at the FA. Look at the Premier League. It's everywhere. But they they're the people that pay lip service to it and say we've got to stop this. We've got to do that. But they won't employ no people of colour. So what, Les? What will Les and Chris? What will make them change? What will make the FA and Premier League employ black people at the top? That's what. That's what I'm frustrated about. Is because they they put out these messages. They do you know show racism the red card. They you know fund kick it out. But yet around we're just going around in circles and with, with whatever you know initiatives that people come up with, nothing changes. And how do we get black people at the top of football? I mean, well, yeah. you're, you're, you're both two of those men, but at the very top. But the, the, the thing is, is first of all, stop employing puppets who, if they do employ people of colour, there'll be people who are educated but willing to toe the party line to the point of detriment to what, what the real cause is. And then what they do then is say, oh, we've got a black person, but they're, they're, they're pulling strings in a direction that the majority of black people may not think is the right way, or they get the the majority of, the, of black people in the game will get uh, smoke um, in, in front of their eyes. So they don't actually realize what's going on because if they really wanted to, to, to do it, there were people say, well, there aren't any, but there are loads of people, loads of black people of intelligence and of experience who have un- understood the, the whole cause who are prepared to go in and, and listen, we don't want to go in undiplomatically and unprofessionally and, 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 and not uh, voice the, the, the situation in the correct manner. But it is important that we, we stop um, uh, tiptoeing around, around issues and actually hit the issues quite, quite hard. And um, they won't change unless they want to change. This is, you know, we're in a situation where the, the people there have got the power and they can decide. They can decide, but you, you're going to need one um, radical, powerful, forward-thinking person who is white, who's, who's prepared to, to bring in diversity, all through diversity. And I'm not just talking about colour. I'm talking about um, gender. I'm talking about disabilities. Anybody, anybody who's right for the job should be looked upon as a, as a candidate to do the, to do the job. Now, if, if it ended up that all the right people happen to be Asian or happen to be women or happen to be black or, or happen to be white, then, then so be it. But you can't tell me. Um, I was the first black regional director for the FA, the first person of a, of a proper job at the FA for over 100 years of their existence. So you can't tell me along that time that I'm so talented that I was I got that job. There's been people miles more talented than me before that were able to do to do that job. So that was fortunate because the people there at the time didn't didn't take take my colour into consideration. But uh, until till, till we have somebody who is a, a white person at the top with the right uh, the right views and the right. Um, sensibilities and power and, and drive to change things, it, it won't change. You know, I, I've had, uh, this week I've had so many calls, obviously, you know, regarding George Floyd, from all the different uh, organisations, you know, Sky, TalkSport, I've run out of things to say. I don't even know what to say to them anymore. It's got to stay, you know, what, what else is left to say? You know, I keep saying, you know, if we want to make the change, make it the FA, make it, make it at the top of the game. That's the only way it's going to filter down. But 
I, I'm actually I'm, I'm I'm actually lost for words of, of of how to correct this anymore because I've been talking about as Finn has said, I've been talking about this all through my career, you know, and I never I never jump on a, a, a an interview to do with anybody and say, you know, when I come on, please talk to me about racism because I want to talk about it. I never want to talk about it, but people can see the problem and they ask me the question all the time. And I'm saying, well, you guys can see the problem. Don't solve it. Don't keep coming to me. Or angry black men after another situation has happened, you come to a training ground and start to talk to, to, to young players about, oh, what did you think of this last night? What did you think of that? Do something about it. If you really want to do something about it, you can. You know, you just want a reaction for an incident that has happened and it's, it's got to stage where, you know, we need to act rather than just keep talking because all we do is just keep glossing over the situation. Do you know, do you know, you know it's just knowing me, I'll be honest with you, Les and Chris, and this is the last I'll say in it, is when it, <laughs> my mate is, is from there from Barbados. We, and I'm quite a mouthy wee shade, as you know, and we would, we would ask more or less the same questions of people who were our bosses, who we worked with and everything else. The amount of times people would come away and say, God, your mate Dave's got a chip on his shoulder. I couldn't believe. I was like, no, no, he's, he's, he's asking the right questions. I'm asking the same questions. But you ain't saying that about me. But you said, what the hell? Do you know what I mean? And it's just like... I just hope, I just oh. hope we are reaching the, the action and do something phase, Les, because, other, I mean, it's just like, if I'm absolutely tired and exhausted, then I don't even want to know how, like, you know, some of the black men and women in, in football are feeling because we are just going around in circles and people are just talking and talking and talking. But there is... So far, zero action over, you know, the last however many years that everyone's been involved in the game. And it's frustrating. And I'm just hoping that those that did post things this week who said they would follow it up with action do. Because it, it it's not just about those working in, in the game on a football level, but the media, the sponsors, you know, everyone. It takes everyone to make that change because then they decide how the stories are told as well. Um, we had loads of questions on Twitter, so I just want to kind of ask you guys a few things before we let you go. Um, Les, um, someone asked about your time in Turkey, um, and obviously um, Bright was being linked to loads of clubs, but one of those clubs being Fenerbahce. So I just wondering what, how kind of you could talk about how playing in Turkey kind of changed your career and, and how it changed your development as well. I mean, for, for, for me, I think uh, flowed back in the day when I went to Turkey, I didn't know what I was going to. Um, all I realised is I wasn't getting into the, the, the team at Queens Park Rangers, and I needed to do something for uh, for my career, for the development development of my career. Um, and this opportunity came about and, and like I say I say it on many occasions the only thing I knew about Turkey at the time was the, the film Midnight Express and that's not the greatest advert for, for somebody to go and live but um, it was about me going to play football and, and just having a, way, a year away from, from, from England and London and, and all sort of like the creature comforts of being at home uh, I was able to go away concentrate for a year and it was the best thing that, that, that happened to me in my career. You know, opportunities come around and sometimes you've got to take them. Sometimes you don't and you sit back and you regret. Um, but I took this opportunity and, um, like I said, it was the best thing that, that could have happened for me. And Chris, someone, um, someone on Twitter's asked about whether you are kind of, will you ever want to get back into that first team manager role or are you quite set now in, in this, this role you've got? Uh, I think the job I've got is the best job in, 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 if you're a coach, it's the best job you can ever have because you can 
you've got your first team three points heart attack and you've also got your uh, your development side where you where you can you can uh, see people developing in your affecting lives but I think for my deathbed I, I probably at some stage will would want to get back in because you don't want to be at the end of your career and think oh you know because I'm probably being a bit cowardly if I'm being honest with you because the job I do I, I don't I wouldn't say I find it easy it's challenging but I can do it quite comfortably so am I challenging myself enough uh, to, to, to maximise my potential I'm not sure but I think happiness is also important as well you know um, I don't think people realise how um, taxing being a first team manager is and how it affects it engulfs your life um, in, in the anxiety of it is 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 so high um, so I, I will probably hope to finish the project at QPR um, I was at Tottenham for nearly a decade and that bought, bore a lot of fruits and I think that m- myself and Les are, are, are you know m- nearly midway through a, a, a project that will set up um, a strong developmental situation at the club uh, but at the moment I'm, uh, uh, you know I would be very very pleased to assist Mark um, and John Eustace and the owners and Les and, and, and everybody here to get ourselves back to where we want we, we want to go. So that's I hope that answers that, really. Chris, I was at that uh, the game at Brentford um, when you ran the gauntlet of abuse that no one should, should have to go through. And you spoke about happiness. And, yeah, I'm not surprised you don't want to rush straight back into that because that was, that was pretty grim. Yeah, but, you know, one of the, 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 the things is round about that time, my sister died. So that was, you know, that put things into um, into some massive perspective. I came back after the whole game and uh, she died that night. We drew, we I think we drew the game. And um, for a period, I was quite numb and people... People don't realise that you you know you you have lives outside the, the game and a lot of the, the the things that I did when I was the manager, apart from buy a few um, big toys for myself, you know I used to go out with my nieces and nephews and go to the movies and just do normal things that keep you keep your feet on the ground. But uh, the 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 abuse is the abuse, you know you, you you're gonna you're gonna get it and uh, you know it, it, you, you're right you should you shouldn't. Have to get that abuse, but you know that's one of the, the downfalls of being a first team first team manager. I suppose that's why they get, you know, in the top leagues they get the money that they do. Um, Chris and Les, I'm going to try and after my rants, which I apologise for because I'm middle aged white guy and ranted and I'm sorry. But anyway, um, the academy, the the new development with the training ground and everything else. How excited are you both towards this, and how much of a difference will this make? Because we have never ever. In my living memory, Les, you may be putting me right in this. We've never run drawn training ground before. This, this is massive news. Yeah, for for us as well. It's um, you know, we can't wait. Uh, it's it's going to take another couple of years to get it all up to uh, uh, into fruition. But um, yeah, I think it's it will be so important for us to have everybody on the same site, everywhere, everybody sort of like singing from the same hymn sheet. At the moment, we're a little bit over here and a little bit over there. I think it would be massive for QBR and going forward. And the way that we want to do things going forward, um, to have your own training ground and your own facility and your own identity um, will be massive for the football club. So I, I, we are so excited about 
the development and hopefully it can come to fruition a little bit sooner than I was saying there and um, get everybody on the same site and work from there. I've got a question for both of you, which which may may have featured answers from the last couple, but there's a lot of negativity around at the moment for various reasons. It's a very uncertain time. Why should QPR fans be positive about the future? <laughs> I, I think we've got a, a very good project. Uh, you know, um, the, the, the manager's played quite a few young players and um, I think that if we can keep uh, pushing forward with the training ground, pushing forward with uh, trying to build the club from the bottom um, and, and making sure that we have a foundation that, that sustains productivity at the club as well as um, pushing up the leagues and always being a, in a position of hope uh, on the field. I think, I think QPR is, is if, we, if we finish the project, I think it will be one of the clubs that everybody looks towards in how to actually build a club in a sustainable, uh, sustainable level with a sustainable finances. Um, I mean, obviously, I won't, uh, uh, Les will probably be embarrassed about this, but, you know, since, since he's come, the, the, the wage bill has been dramatically um, cut. Um, we're actually in credit now in, to, to a point um, when, when we try and spend money. I know we haven't got a lot of money. But lots of clubs that have, have come down from the Premier League have bounced straight down to League One and not returned uh, swiftly. And we've managed to, uh, to, to, to maintain our status um, over the last uh, few seasons, which is testament really to while we're still trying to get a settled team, settled um, management scenario where we, we have someone who can deal with, do the project. I think that, and, and look where we are in the league with six points off the playoffs, with a team that's changed drastically, with youngsters in the team, with youngsters coming through. I, I think that uh, the fans should be positive um, about what's happened over over the last years, and we haven't ended up in League One. Les? Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to agree with what Chris has said there. You know what what it is about. It was about being sustainable um, and, and productive. Um, We've gone from having players at the football club who uh, we've spoken about it before, earned good money, left the football club, and there was no there was no resale value on them. Um, we're now we've now got players that we're talking about who have come into the side, who hopefully will make big money for the football club and hopefully progress us to where we want to be. Um, and that's the reasons for me that. Uh, People need to be excited. I think what they've seen in recent years in the likes of Bright, in the likes of SA, in the likes of Ilias Chair, we're continuing our, 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 our goal to produce players like this, as well as having some good senior players. We're, our goal is to produce players like this. And as Chris talked about, it's about us being sustainable as a football club. Uh, and at the moment, we've got there. It's been hard. It's been hard getting there. Um, but we've got there. And I think a lot of the clubs, what we've gone through, in recent years, I think a lot of the clubs in, in, in the Championship are going to go through now. Um, um, but we've already gone through that hard part. So that's why I'd be excited. That's why I'd be, um, uh, in some ways, I'd be looking forward to, to, to going forward. Because I think we've, got, we've done the hard graph now and it's about how we progress it going from here. So the next year or so is going to be very, very important for me. I think we, we've got the right man in place um, who understands the project that we're trying to do. It's about being able to keep hold of him and keep hold of the staff that we've got and I think we'll progress in the way that we want to progress. Les, I was just um, 
match of the day, you've been doing all these top tens, and uh, Shearer and Wrighty recently, Trevor Sinclair's goal was, was in both of them put it in their top ten, mm. basically, of all time in this country. I just wanted to say, what, what's the best goal you've scored, and what's the best goal you've seen a QPR player other than yourself score? Sorry to put you on the spot I'll, there. I'll go training, everyone. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks, Thanks thank you very much for, for, the, for the thing. Further, I'll call you later. Cheers, Chris. Thank, Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Chris. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> okay. I think you should. I think you should have asked Chris his favourite goal, though. I'm just yeah, saying. yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. Whilst Les thinks about this answer, the gr- the one good thing about match of the day at the moment and all the old match of the days is that you're on it every week. <laughs> he played with Shearer for a season or two, and all he all he talks about are Newcastle games. It means you're on it every week, which is good because. My my son just thought of you as some suit at QPR, but now I can actually show him that you, you did play once upon a time and scored quite a few good goals. Yeah, and that's the unfortunate thing. Everyone says to me, oh, your best time was at, at, at QPR. And I say, no, if you go back to my QPR days, uh, sorry, my best time was at Newcastle. I say, no, if you go back to my QPR days, I had some very, very good times there. But the unfortunate thing was we weren't on the TV every week. You know? I mean, we was like one of the last teams shown on Match of the yeah. Day. We never got to see you. Uh, I said, but if you look at the stats, I mean, you know, I went to Newcastle. I think in the last year, I scored 26 goals in, in all in all uh, competitions at QBR. So I went to Newcastle. I only scored three goals more in, in, in the whole of the year. But because we were challenging at the top of the league, we were on the TV all the time. Um, so um, everyone looks at me and always says, ah, oh, you know, Newcastle. And I say, yeah, because we had a chance of winning the league and we were close to winning it. But, you know, if you look at my goal scoring stats, they're probably better at QBR. Um, but um, anyway... Uh, back to the question, Chris. <laughs> yeah. um, what was the best goal that I've ever seen um, by a QBR player? In my time of playing, would probably be Roy Wegley's goal up at Leeds. Yep. He'd stand out as, as the, the outstanding one I saw. Although, you know, of course, Trevor Sinclair's would give, um, give that a, a good run for its money. But in terms of what I saw while I was at the club, and what was my best goal at the club? The... In terms of, I, I, I probably like the one I scored against Sheffield United, where I beat a few. That's mine. That's yours, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolute quality. Well, you, you can describe it, Les. <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> a, a ball came it came into me on the halfway line. I managed to chest it down, turn, and beat two or three players and and, and slam it in the bottom corner. No, no, that's not true, Les. That is not true. <laughs> not true at all. This is what this is what happened. It was like watching an artiste with his blank canvas pink up the brush and sweep everything out of the way, smash it in the net. And I remember then thinking, my God, we have a superstar in our midst because that was one of the best goals I've ever seen in my life. And that was welcome to the big time. My name is Les Ferdinand and you're going to hear an awful lot about me in the next few years. <laughs> With all this Michael, you know, the Michael Jordan documentaries being on. Well, yeah. it sort of reminded me because it was the same time, roughly, that um, you were in our first team, and, and um, you used to hang in the air a lot longer than Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So maybe you just had the wrong agent at the time because it, it should have been Air Ferdinand, I think, rather than Air <laughs> Jordan. Yeah, you're I think, right. I think, I, I think you and Paul Parker probably jumped about nine times your own body weight. <laughs> yeah, no, Paul, Paul had a good leap on him. and I, I, I know he's an old Chelsea player and we shouldn't speak about him too much on air, but um, what's his name? Little speed, uh, she, uh, Speedy? Was it 
he used speedy. to hang in there as well, wasn't it? David Speedy, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a swear word. Yeah, no, I know, mate. <laughs> I'm just saying, in terms of players that, that jumps above their, their size, you know, and um, yeah, I always remember him as uh, one that was able to hang in the air as well. How do you, God, is, is that sorry. is that taught? How do you how do you because it, it it did seem like you used to almost like, like stop for for, for a minute. I mean, I know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's weird. I read something the other day where someone said that, I, I, that, that there was at a game and I and I jumped, had a cup of tea, stood up there, stayed up there, <laughs> put a cup and saucer down, and then came down. Like did you know, I remember? So give all that, but um, yeah, no, it's, it it was. I was always aware that I was um I was always playing against guys that were a lot bigger than me in terms of centre halves. Um, and I had to find a way to get above them. And, and in the end, I, I used to think, if I could get above you, and I used to say to Tony Roberts, Jan Stasekul, whoever it was, just put it on the centre of head. I'm going to out-jump him. And I knew if I could out-jump him, I was going to demoralise him straight away. Because he'd be thinking, this kid's only bordering six foot. And I'm six foot, and he's, he's out-jumping me. And I'd go, do it again, and again, and again. And for me, I'd, I'd already got the centre half once I could do that. And then if he was if he was better than me in the air, I'd say, well, just put it in behind him. Let me try and run him behind him and see if he can keep, keep up with me that way. So it was like, it was just, and I don't know, um, I couldn't say I worked on anything in specific to keep me up in the air. It was just, it was just the knowledge that I had to stay up there in order to be able to hit the ball. Les, what, what, would, what would Les Ferdinand today in the student of Queen's Park Rangers, in the rule that you have, say to the Les Ferdinand the player that just come from Hayes, what would, what would his advice be? Sure. Having, having been there, um, I would put an arm around him straight away and say, listen, um, this, this is going to be tough for a while, but you're going to get there. Listen to the people, listen to the right. You know, I, I was really, really fortunate. We had some good old pros around the place. And I think it probably was the introduction of Ray Wilkins coming to the, to the, to the club. Um, and Jerry, obviously Jerry was very, very important to me. Um, putting his arm around me. And even when I came to the club, you know, the likes of Clive Walker, Gary Chivers and people like that who were, who were at the football club and probably not Jim Smith's favourite players who were, were about to leave the football club. They, they kind of like took me under their wing a bit and I became a bit of a rebel with that, of course. Um, and I would sort of like advise him to, to, to stay away, keep himself with the right people and, and just get his head down and work hard, work hard. Um, because that's what football's all about. It doesn't matter what job you do in the world. If you work hard and you show a passion and an enthusiasm for it, you'll get to where you want to go. And that's what I would... Um, and I'd keep a close eye on him because I know how tough it is because coming out of non-league football into the professional game, um, I struggled with it for, you know, 18 months. Just the, the realisation of living as a, as a professional footballer, which I never thought was going to happen. Uh, and so it's... Um, it's a tough, it's a tough changeover, uh, and I think it's even tougher now than it was back then. Les, thanks so much for your time. I know we kept you a lot longer than initially planned, but um, no you know, I think most you know all QPR fans would say that in the last year, especially, the outlook has really transformed, and it's been a rough couple of years. But I think we're all starting to really feel. Uh, really positive about where the club's going and it's a shame that a global pandemic um, had to stop our charge for the playoffs but yeah thanks so much for taking the time and thanks to Chris as well and um, yeah thanks for all your hard work this season and uh, we look forward to having some football to watch again to having a team to support I think I'm really excited it's it's going to be a big pressure on the players playing a game every what three days or something mad like that but it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch so thanks Les yeah it's cheers great. Les
it's, it's taken us back to, I just want to say thanks to everybody, but it's taken me back to the days of when we used to play all the, the reserve games at, uh, at, at Loftus Road. You know, um, it's, it's going to be like that. I mean, OK, we used to be able to have a few hundred people come in and watch, but it's going to be quite surreal for the players to, to go out there and see no supporters there, but hopefully it'll... Really hopefully. weird for everyone, so, apart from Reading players, yeah. it'll be normal for them. <laughs> oh, we went there. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be weird for everybody, but um, you know we're professional about what we do, and um, hopefully we get the results that we need. Well, Les, thanks for coming thanks, back man. and everything you're doing. Thanks, you, 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 you've been brilliant. Thank you. Cheers, Les. Take care, mate. Bye, mate. Have a good weekend. Cheers. And you. Cheers, mate. Bye. That was brilliant. I enjoyed that interview. I think we covered everything in that short time, and I don't think anyone's going to come away from that interview and not think. Ooh, we're in good hands. Yeah, I think it reaffirms how safe hands, you know, the club is in, which is reassuring because fucking hell, it's been a crap couple of years. So I'm just relieved that we've got people with their heads screwed on in charge of the, you know, youth team as well as the first team, as well as the finances, as well as the transfers. And I think, you know, as fans and as people interested in the club who care about it, the reality is we need to keep the club moving and we need to embrace every bit of talent that comes in, in and out and make the most of it while we can. So, yeah, I'm feeling uh, feeling good after that. I mean, let's face it, they're holding the fort until David Fraser gets his boy in that shirt and becomes the next Gary Bannister. Yeah. <laughs> Me and I thought Chris he was a goalie, David. I thought he was a goalie. Is he a goalie? He doesn't know what he is. He is, he is actually not bad. <laughs> He's very young, though. Um, no, I, I enjoyed that. I mean, the, the trio, really, that's the most important, I suppose you could call them the foursome that are the most important ones, uh, is Lee Hughes, Les Ferdinand, Chris Ramsey, and, and I suppose Mark Warburton, although that head coach role often changes, doesn't it? But I took out of that the most important thing now and for the next couple of years at least in football is coaching and development yeah and that yeah. makes Chris Ramsey's job even more important I also took out of it I think I think I should say this whilst we're recording so that people here are saying it when we were talking about um representation in football Black Lives Matter I, I, I took a couple of things out of that the first one is was kind of like stop asking us and he didn't say that but I was thinking we never ask those questions to anyone that comes on here, um, apart from uh, like black guys, if I'm honest. And so probably one of the things we need to start doing is asking those questions to other people in football. We've had Lee Hoos on a few times. I don't remember us ever asking him that question. Uh. So when everybody's sort of looking at themselves and what they can do, I think that's one of the things that he said, you know, there needs to be fundamental changes at all levels of football kind of stop asking us and I think I think everybody needs to do a bit more and it's stop asking start doing right it's like stop chatting about what you you know what we think or what we should be doing is like actually start doing something and that's what I get so frustrated about especially with the fact that it turned into you know a social media movement which has obviously massive positive effects but it's you know it becomes pretty performative and pretty virtue signaling is people need to start pulling their fingers out people who work in the media myself included need to employ black men and women people who work in sponsorship need to employ you know brands nike adas whatever people who work football clubs the fa the premier league the efl you know they need to get their house in order because 
which otherwise nothing will change. So, uh, and what Chris said, it's not the people on the extreme that are the problem. They are the problem, but they're not the people that are going to make the change. It is yeah. the people. Going back who- to what you just said, Lord David, about um, us talking to, I'm always in danger as a, as a, as a middle-aged white fella of, of saying what a black person goes through when I haven't walked in them shoes. And I guess visually we're always going to be drawn to them people. You're right. We should ask Lee Hughes. We should be asking Mark Wilmington. We should be asking other players. Have they changed um, the mindsets and stuff playing for blood up their eyes? Sure. Because the only way you get to deal with racism is we all realize that everyone is exactly the same as us. The only difference between people is what you perceive it to be, not the actual being. And um, yeah, perhaps we should do, but I, I kind of, I do worry that I had a, a really interesting chat with Paul Mortimer a while back. He's a QPR fan. He used to play for Charlton. And he was like, he was saying to me that analogy of like, um, you get the racism when you, they hear you talk about the Irish. We get it by walking up a path sometimes. And yeah. we, people have got to, if people see a group of young youths and how they think about that and in that group of youths, if they feel in danger because of someone's colour skin, they need to look at themselves. You know, that's, and Flo's right. We've all got to change it. There's no point in us all sitting there doing hashtags and this, that, and the other. Change it. And best people for the jobs, no matter who they may be, will be more disabled, more people of colour, more, just the right people. You know, we're all frigging human beings. We're not different from anybody else, um, well, apart from Chelsea fans who are completely insane. It's like with a lot of these things, the sponsors will drive it, which I never, I never hear them mentioned. But if Sky and BT and Amazon turn around to the FA, yeah, exactly. say, you have to work harder, what are you doing? And turn around to the clubs and say similar. I think that's also when you'll start to see. Everyone, everyone has to hold each other to account. That is the main thing. And we, like, you know, fans only have so much power. Um, and it's, you know, the people who, who run the game in the whole, everyone who's part of the ecosystem who need to be transparent and be held accountable for what they do beyond just putting out a social media post. And do you know what? The day that we never talk about this is the day it will be the greatest day on earth because it's over, it's done with. <laughs> and I don't want to be talking, I don't want my daughter to be talking about this in 20 years' time. If that happens, fucking hell, we'll field. Well, let's spend five minutes not talking about it and I mean poor segue by myself but I'm going I'm I'm plowing on regardless anyway um just to sort of tie up a couple of things that we haven't quite dealt with I think this next week will be the last Saturday podcast won't it the week after we're playing well, no, yeah, yeah, but you can do you can do a pre-match one or an after-match one because we watch it from the comfort of our own armchairs. Well, it's almost like the season starting again. I suppose we'll do a preview before that first game, and then uh, after that, we'll start talking after the games about what actually happens. We're, we're going to feel like Man United, Liverpool fans, aren't we? Just sitting watching it from our sofa. It's going to feel really strange. I don't, I don't know how I feel about it actually. If I'm being honest, kind of weird. Have you watched a lot of the Bundesliga? Yeah, and the uh, Munich Dortmund game was a real letdown because it there was the needs the atmosphere. One thing I have noticed is home advantage has gone completely out the window. Um, teams are getting absolutely trashed on their own patch by the bigger teams now. Could yeah. be a coincidence, I don't know, but the, and especially at our place where we're right on top of and we can really put the frighteners on, on, on the opposition. I'm just thinking that that won't help us at all. But I could be. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. Chris, sorry, I was pausing. You look like you were about to come in. 
Now he's, he's, he's on mute. He's, he's on mute, which is the, 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 the most used phrase of lockdown, I think. You're Sorry, Chris. He's back to us. Go on, Chris. You're going to say something. No, I wasn't. Well, I, I was just going to say, um, you know, obviously a lot of big issues discussed there, but there's, there's one little throwaway comment. Uh, um, just what Chris Ramsey said about them um, essentially having having everything in place so that the man, you know, he's mentioned like seven managers, which is something I've been saying for ages. So we basically got a style now. That's what I took to learn from that. So yeah. that when a new manager comes in, the manager is brought in to suit that style rather than rip it all up again, which we have been guilty of doing in, in the last few years. Different manager comes in, plays a different style of football, sells, you know, like McLaren did, gets rid of a loads of players, brings his in. Sounds to me like it's going to be more fluid now, which is what I've been calling for for a long time. And that's how you build successful clubs. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I'm reading a book at the moment about kind of the European phases of styles of football. And the reason Ronald Koeman was successful at Southampton is because he played the same style that Pochettino played at Southampton. And he was just inheriting a team and, and a style that went from the youth team to the top that people were used to playing. And that's the way you've got to do it. And that's why it's a relief to know that they're implementing that because it's not going to, you know, hopefully if... When, when someone comes in and, and Warburton leaves, then you know someone can pick up the pieces and it's not a complete mess, which is exactly what has that, happened yeah. to us over and over and over again. Only yeah. if Ramsey stays, though, and the thing I took from that, yeah. that he doesn't think he will stay. I, I was quite surprised. I thought he was quite honest about he's relatively dissatisfied, kind of personally, uh, you know, with what he's doing and that he's got ambitions to do more. And also the revelation that, his time as first team manager was marred by personal circumstances and personal mm. tragedy, which, you know, is not going to help when you're doing that. So I, I took from that that if you think Chris Ramsey's going to be there forever or even for very long, he was fairly honest in saying that's not going to be the case. Well, the thing he's got to do what's best for Chris Ramsey and what's best for Queen's Park Rangers. I have no problem with anyone coming to Queen's Park Rangers better than us themselves and going on to other things um, because we get the best out of them and that's what a, be it a player be it a manager be it a coach because that's what you want you want these people to come in I mean I think in the last during the lockdown pods what come out is the honesty of Morbiton um, them guys and everyone we've had on has been really from the club has been really honest and the thing is people will say oh you know you're, you're getting people from the club you become a mouthpiece of the club no we are letting them speak and we're asking the questions that maybe they wouldn't get asked via the official links and we're letting people make up their own minds. I'm not telling anyone what they think, saying what I think is irrelevant. Listen to what they're saying. We're, to me, we're in a much better place. We've got a really decent team there. And I'm quietly optimistic. And I don't get optimistic very often. It happened once. And I didn't like it. So I'm enjoying this. <laughs> okay. Agreed. All right. Any, uh, any other business, folks? Um, I just wanted to, I mean, I know we've probably maybe given the club too much praise over the last couple of um, Saturdays, um, but another great story from the club that um, Clive um, shared from the Loft for Words forum and message board um, about the club bringing up a disabled fan, asking if he needed any help. And he said that was the only calls he'd been getting in lockdown until his GP rang, obviously, like towards the end of this whole thing. So, um, yeah, just um, fantastic work from the club as usual. And um, when other clubs may be, you know, paying lip service to some of the things around us, I feel like I can trust what the club are doing. And I truly believe in what the, you know, the trust are doing, what um, 
you know, the, the club's ethos and, and how they support fans. So, yeah, more more great work. And it's it's good to know that we're doing the right things. Can I just clear something up? Because I'm particularly daft and stupid, I know. But um, season ticket holders, as far as you know, can watch the games live. That's the first choice, David, right? Second mm-hmm. choice is we can cash it in for QPR cash. Third choice is a refund. So, yeah, members and so forth, do they then have to pay £10 per game? I think there's a ticket price for the game. Okay. I think my understanding is it's that price is mandated by the league and it's a minimum of £10 in the UK or £5 outside the UK. It may be higher for this, I don't know. But yeah, you'll basically buy a match pass per game. If you, But if you have a season ticket, you have the option to cash it in for the pass pass for all the games online, apart from the ones that are selected for Sky, which will be on Sky. That's okay, cool. So is there an option where you can, you can yeah, you can basically let the, you know, let the club keep the, keep your money basically. Cause that's, that's what I want yeah. to do. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying everyone, you know, a lot of people will want to cash as is, but that, that's option one. And in return, you'll yeah. get the match passes okay. on, yeah. online. It's a, it's a little bit confusing, but yeah, I thought that is, that seems to be the options. But it, I think if you do have any specific questions, the club seem to res, be res, pretty responsive on Twitter about it. So if okay. anyone's a little bit unsure about what's maybe the best scenario for their circumstances, then I would say tweet them um, or go online and I'm sure there's loads of FAQs because some of the wording is a little bit ambiguous. I don't think it's entirely clear for the club like what is happening. Yeah, that's true. They don't necessarily know. Yeah. Because what games are going on Sky and stuff is still unclear. So, you know, how that will be impacted. I want to know what people are going to do to make it like, you know, like the actual match experience. So my top tip from me for people who do what I do I'm going to make sure I turn the TV on late to make the kick-off, because that's normal. I'm going to have way too much drink. Eight-siders. So, yes, yes, yes. So that, and also, I'm going to put loads of obstacles in the way to the toilet, like I'm walking down South Africa Road, and I'm going to queue up the coffee machine and charge myself five quid. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to make it this the real thing. And, um, yeah, and I'll probably watch it in the cupboard. I'm going to cross my leg oh, and, and make and put a post- really uncomfortable for an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> we're, or we're put, 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 put a chair right in front of your knees. Yeah. Also, we've got to put a post in the way and I can't see the dugout. So I'm going to refuse to look at the dugout because for 20 odd years, I don't know what's going on down there. And I don't want to know. It's like a magical place to me. Yeah. I think I it'd be great. For those, you know those guys and every club has them and we have a few. The, the people that have like been to every game for like 40 years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, not going to every game. They've broken their record. There's going to be thousands of these people across the country, across clubs. You've got to feel for those guys. I might I might start a support group or like a, a rehab. Yeah. I saw one of those guys, though, and he, I mean, he's, he's undecided as to whether he's going to count those because, I mean, if you, if you physically can't go, then it's not, it's not really your fault, is it? No, no. Um, no, it's like when we were banned from Luton, and I managed to get in. Because I lived there at the time. God help me. The worst move of my life. Anyone didn't manage to get into Luton, did they? A few did. I mean, I I, I lived in Luton when I when, when I got married. That's where we lived. And um, yeah, oh, I thought you I thought you didn't like it though. I thought you were Luton intolerant. 
Oh, very Actually, good. Very, very good. I am. And that was the best mic drop he's ever done in the podcast. Well done, David. But you know what? I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it coming back. Um, hopefully it lasts. Hopefully we finish the season. Never mind start the next one. Finish it. That all rich stays down and, and nothing comes into. Because I think starting and then if it stops again, people will find it really, really, really difficult. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. That seems like cool. a good place to finish. Yep. Yeah. Uh, thanks all. Uh, we'll be back. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back, I think, next Saturday. Probably loads more information will have come out by then about fixtures and times and everything else. Um, thanks to our guests. Thanks to the guys. This has been Open All Ours. UPR. UPR.